You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Music Tectonics. I am Tristra Newyear Yeager, the music strategist and all-around writer and blabber here at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the music tech PR firm. And today I have with me two really, really amazing guests uh, whose writing and thoughts I re- admire greatly, Boss Grossmeyer and Martin Walraven of uh, Music X and many other projects and hats as well. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, very happy to be here. Awesome. So before we jump into our conversation, which I I'm sure is going to be really full of crazy ins and outs and ideas. Um, Boss and Martin, if you could just introduce yourself a little bit, talk about your background, how you got interested in music and tech, and um, what you're involved with right now. Uh, Martin, do you, you want to start, go first? Boss? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go in alpha order. Okay, Boss, you go first. <laughs> Sorry, I should have given you sure. that little prompt. Um, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm Boss, uh, mostly known, I guess, for... Uh, this newsletter that I started six years ago, uh, nearly six years ago now, called Music X. Uh, originally, it was called Music Tech Future, uh, but we've simplified it to just Music X. Um, I have a background in like music and tech. I started initially. I started writing about um, kind of how artists can like self-organize uh, and and identify new business models um, using kind of like Web two technologies um, together with their communities and. Uh, and then I started working for various music companies. Uh, I think like maybe the, the most, I don't know, uh, the, the projects most worth worth mentioning now is like I worked into uh, niche streaming services, one uh, specialized in kind of serving the markets in Russia and kind of other former Soviet countries and uh, another one kind of specialized in classical music. Um, and right now, uh, besides Music X, I'm working with uh, Colors, which is uh, kind of like a music uh, aesthetic curation brand. Martin, how did you get into this crazy world of music tech? Um, so I did a PhD in history, um, but it was about the history of sound. So at least it was tangentially related to music. Um, and then when I uh, finished that, um, I started working for these two TV channels, one for classical music and one for jazz music. Um, these two channels were acquired by a Canadian company called Stingray. And at Stingray, I kind of went through the really fast moving media landscape of the past sort of five to six years, which where we went from linear TV to uh, on demand um, apps, then back to linear TV, but with ads, um, that was a crazy ride. I learned a lot. Um, um, and meanwhile, um, uh, I read Boss's newsletter and when he started Music X Corona, he asked for help and I offered my help and he um, accepted. <laughs> and then uh, now we have a, a, a Music X, which is a, a twice weekly newsletter um, where he writes it on Tuesdays and I write it on Thursdays. Um, and I, when I left Stingray, I started a live streaming studio together with um, Arjen in Rotterdam called Garden, um, where we're trying to redefine what a music live stream is. 
Excellent. And for those of you that don't read Music X, um, Martin, and you should, first of all, you should. And second of all, Martin and Boss are a really wonderful complementary duo. Um, and, and you guys often come at similar issues or questions from very different perspectives in a way that I find really interesting. But okay, enough uh, embarrassing praise and uh, you know, heaping compliments on you. Um, I would love to start our conversation out by talking about something that Boss has been uh, investigating a lot, and that is namely Web3. So first, there's a lot of chatter about Web3 now, and it's a lot of things are thrown into that basket. Can we talk for a second about what exactly Web3 is and how you define it? Um, yeah, uh, let's... Uh... How, how long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're to make this a, a retreat, you know, three day long retreat. No. Um, so can you can you put it in a nutshell? Is yeah, that sure. or is that? Uh... Uh, I think um, <laughs> I think like the term Web3 uh, became really popular to to refer to um, kind of like a convergence of, of trends. And um, so for years, uh, we've been talking in, in music industry about blockchain. There was uh, at one point there was uh, not a music conference without a blockchain panel, and then it kind of like disappeared again. Um, and then um, uh, until quite recently, I think, um, where instead of maybe using the words blockchain, we might be talking about crypto or NFTs and things like that. Um, for me, what is interesting about like um, um, broadening it to the, to kind of a context that we call web free is really thinking about what is being built, what, what is being built over the next 10 years. And I think we've, um, so from web one, web two, we went uh, from an internet of uh, people having their own websites and their own locations on the internet to people having accounts and profiles on platforms. Um, and instead of uh, going to look up things on different pages, you would just get like all your information through feeds. Um, then the algorithms came on top of that and things like that, but also kind of the business models of that day and age of like um, kind of advertising models, basically, uh, and needing to uh, monopolize people's attention and eyeballs for that. Um, and that has led to, I think, like kind of uh, certain, I don't know, platform economy dynamics. And I think now with Web3, um, there's this sense like, hey, if we're contributing value to a network, um, we shouldn't be paying that same network or that same platform um, just to reach our own fans again. Um, for, in, for instance, when we have a release, I don't want to name names, but like actually a lot of social media, if you have like mm -hmm. a big, big following and you do like a big release, if you want to make sure that everyone sees it, you need to pay so that your post gets seen. Um, and that's a bit crazy, uh, like how much value we're kind of contributing to these things, but we don't get to participate in that. So the, for me, the cool thing about Web3 is that it's kind of like a, these uh well since it's based on blockchain which is this kind of like decentralized database model uh everything is registered to there and uh it gives if you're participating in a network uh there's more of a sense of ownership and um so for me i mean oversimplified we're going into this kind of de distributed decentralized uh social media landscape where uh the communities that are building things actually uh, own part of the outcome and they get to participate in the value that they're generating together um, and I think that's really exciting, especially looking at music and looking at um, um, kind of music's middle class and perhaps streaming royalties, you know, not really um, uh, serving everyone uh, 
as well as we think people should be uh, uh, served, or at least uh, there's a lot of artists that definitely should be able to easily make a living online off of their music, uh, but for some reason they're not. And I think now with some of these uh, technologies coming out, um, there's real potential to do it like on your own terms. I, I went mm -hmm. slightly further than just the definition, but that's also why I'm excited. No, I like that. Yeah, yeah no, the, every definition has a, a perspective and needs to have the, the the context that surrounds it and why, I mean, why the values that, um, you know, why, why do we need this technology if we can already do all the things technically, for the most part, that many um, Web3 uh, uh, elements like NFTs, et cetera, like the, those they have unique properties, but yet they're not really doing anything at this point yet um, that is deeply uh, revolutionary. Um, however, I love what you're saying, boss, about sort of recalibrating in some ways the incentives and or changing the relationships in this economy. I mean, how what are some good examples that you've seen of this kind of dynamic where um, where we're seeing artists being compensated more appropriately for the value they produce? Um, well, one of my favorite examples is actually, uh, there's a, a so-called DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. It doesn't really matter, but basically, uh, I mean, I'm not going to get too deep into the definition right now, but it's called FWB or friends with benefits. And in order to be a member, you need to have, uh, you need to hold a certain amount of tokens, uh, that, that sit on the blockchain. They're yours. They cannot be taken away. So unlike a group membership on Facebook, where Facebook can just change a little thing in their database and bam, you're out, you lose everything. Uh, in this case, you have something that sits with you. Uh, it's not a monthly membership fee or anything like that. It's like tokens that you own and hold. So um, that's set up as a creative community uh, or like a community of creatives that are interested in Web3 and want to do things with that. And, um, um, and it became, you know, there was a lot of hype around it. So the... Um, the price of these tokens, they started uh, started to increase really fast. Um, and then at one point, um, like kind of late summer, when uh, when it was really expensive to uh, attain a membership, um, kind of the only people that you saw joining and introducing themselves in the, uh, in the introductions channel in uh, FWB were like kind of investor type people. And at first it was like, oh, that's really cool to have like all these creatives and investors in the same room but also was very aware, like, uh, I think it was about $8,000 at the time to uh, attain the tokens. Most mm -hmm. artists wow. that I know, they don't just have that money sitting around that they can just like <laughs> reserve it just to be able to be part of like, let's say a Discord. It's, it's a bit more than that, but uh, Discord uh, is a chat app. So like just to be part of a huge chat group and network. Um, and I started thinking, like, what might happen next? It's like, would I be interested, kind of long term, just hanging out in a room full of investors? It's like, probably not. It's like, I, I, I work in the music <laughs> industry. I, I deliberately chose mm -hmm. to work in this rather than uh, some other domains that I'm also somewhat interested in. But I like the people in music. And um, so then, what might happen long term? It's like, well, maybe these these the initial kind of creative crew might get less and less active, and slowly just mm -hmm. kind of migrate away as like hey that is actually like kind of digital gentrification of a community where like first the artists come in yeah. they make it like a cool cool spot and then like people with more money come in and then the artists can't afford it anymore but in this case 
they can sell their tokens and they can make a profit. Like if they bought it before summer um, and then uh, sold after summer, it, I think the the value um, multiplied like eightfold. Um, so I think that's really cool uh, where there's just something built into uh, participating in a community that if the value or the perce- uh, perceived value, I don't know if there's really much of a difference between value and perceived value, but I'll leave that to economists. Um, but if the perceived value of this community goes up, you, you participate in it by default. Uh, and I think that's really special. Um, so that's like one example. And then there's another example uh, that I can highlight if there's time, otherwise cut this. Yeah, go for it. Well, well, actually, let's 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 spend another minute here with this this kind of community and example for a second, and then I want to hear your second example. Um, and Martin, I'd love to hear your your input on this as well. I mean, if you look at the coverage and and just some of the projects coming out, some of the coverage around uh, like uh, some decentralized, you know, or metaverse type uh, platforms or or uh, environments, you, you basically hear a reproduction of the current states of, you know, our our class and economic system. Sorry, everyone getting a little bit pink here. Um, (laughs) You know, you hear basically we're reproducing the inequalities and distortions of our current economy in the metaverse. So what, how do you guys imagine we could, just knowing that's happening right off the bat, and this is still such a like green field, how could we compensate for that? So one of the ways that uh, Web3 protocols allow compensation for that is that um, you can change what you compensate, right? Um, so there's a lot of, like I'm, I'm really interested in DAOs that um, reward curiosity, for example. Um, so you don't, like with friends with benefit, you need to buy those tokens and not everybody has money. Um, but there's also plenty of DAOs and I think I can kind of guess what boss's next example will be. Um, but, um, (laughs) uh, where if you are active, you get tokens. If you do certain tasks, you get tokens. If you ask questions, you get tokens, you know, so those kinds of, um, reward systems or bounty systems as they're sometimes called, um, exist as well. Um, and you can define them and then just put them into uh, <laughs> uh, a smart contract. Yeah, that's so there basically, there are other ways we could assign value and thus uh, give tokens out to people participating beyond um, beyond just the simple monetary standards that everyone is so used to. It's like, you know, um, digging out what are other values besides money. And as an American, that is often the measure of value people are most comfortable with, but there might be other measures of value. And uh, as musicians and music lovers, we often have a pretty intuitive and or like visceral experience of value that goes beyond um, money. Anyway, that's getting awfully philosophical, which is my jam, but um, I want to take it back. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay because a, a lot of the, a lot of crypto mm-hmm. talk is also about that sort of value, right? But there is, um, especially when you talk about communities, there's a lot of difference ways that you can describe value i think i mean just to add to that also like uh the 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 word philosophical i think it's actually that's Mm. a really important thing i think right now a lot of these experiments they're happening really close to the infrastructure um like they're essentially like 
imagine in the 90s very original ways to set up like email servers or something like that like that's i mean that's not something we think about we just create a gmail account now um, but that's how close we're kind of operating towards like mm -hmm. the blockchain infrastructure and a lot of it is just like experimentation and ideas and different visions for um what does value mean and uh how do we want communities to to create together um and um yeah i mean you, you could you you hear these things uh clearly i think to, to answer the previous question too um which was about uh you know what what can people do in light of um um kind of these like economic models i think the nice thing about like web free technologies is that you can set things up to operate on your own terms rather than uh having everything run through um a publicly traded uh company with uh with very specific um values and then when i'm when i say everything i mean um where you post your photos where you have your groups where you post your events where you do your direct messaging currently a lot of that for a lot of people 90 percent mm -hmm. runs through like one company uh and then your um uh kind of indirectly i mean i love the phrase program <laughs> or be programmed uh, if you haven't made the interface, you're uh, behaving according to the rules and the values uh, by the, the creator that come from the creators of the interface. And that's like a complex thing because there's like mm -hmm. loads of people contributing to it and markets forces and all of that stuff. Uh, but what I like about Web3 is that people are kind of trying to build the tools that you can kind of like plug and play and put together in ways in which maybe it's more aligned with what your own values are. And especially now that we're in like a really experimental stage, um, so that's also why things feel like really clunky, really hard to understand, uh, are not easy to use. It's kind of relatively easy to make an expensive mistake. Um, I made one the other day where I was demoing how to set up a wallet and I didn't save my seed phrase. And because of that, oh, no. I'm locked out of it now. And there's something, uh, there's something that mm. wasn't valuable then mm -hmm. in there, but it, oh, it attained value in the meantime. Oh, no. I'm never gonna get to it. It's okay. I, you know, you can't, I never really had it, so I ne never really lost it either, but um, yeah, I, that, that stuff happens. Uh, it's, a, it's okay, it's just like kind of experimental phase, so you have to just roll with <laughs> roll with what it gives you. I think the learnings and the connections you build are anyway way more valuable than any one particular thing in that, so. Amazing. Uh, when your, your, your talk about interface boss makes me think a bit about uh, another favorite topic of mine and something that I really think is going to shift the way we think about music in the next year or so. And that is the ease now that people can make music. And by people, I don't mean just, you know, the quote unquote bedroom producers, or I hate this word, prosumers, um, the, the, the folks that everyone has been thinking about for like the last 10 years who are sitting with a laptop, like making music in some way, shape or form in a home studio setup. But I mean, the folks who are maybe riding a bus or walking in the woods or doing other things um, and either using a phone or a small device or um, some other means to create music and capture it um, so that they can then mess around with it more. Um, I'm just curious how you guys are seeing this shift, if it's one that you're thinking about in, in any way. And um, yeah, any thoughts you have on it? Um, so there is so such ridiculous amounts of music being made. Um, and 
I mean, the stat is almost a year old now, so it'll probably be closer to 90,000, but there's 60,000 songs uploaded to Spotify every day. Um, I was speaking to mm-hmm. Meng not long ago from BandLab, um, and he mentioned that there's 11 million songs every month mm-hmm. created on the through the app. Um, they don't get released. I don't know how many musicians you know, but I know quite a lot of musicians, and most of them yeah. just make music for themselves, right? Maybe they put something out on Bandcamp or they release something through DistroKid and it ends up on a, on a DSP and they get 15 listeners. And, but they don't care because they make music for themselves. Um, but because this proliferation of quite <laughs> okay to good music <laughs> um, is is coming out, you know, the, the, the marketplace is filling up. Um, when you think about like supply and demand, that's problematic. So um, when we think about like business models moving forward, we have to kind of think about what do you need to do to monetize your music if, you know, I can listen to any music I want for hardly any money. Um, and that's, again, when, when issues surrounding community come in, because then you need to create a community around yourself that is invested in you in a different way than just being a casual listener. Um, and that's there, you know, a lot has already happened. Um, if we look at the creator economy and all the, um, the business models surrounding that, um, now with web three, there is new, um, new ways to, to monetize again through NFTs or different ways. Um, and all of these little additions mm-hmm. mean growth, right? That's sort of and where if, I am at. If at distribution moment. at scale is no longer a goal or any, you know, if you can monetize other ways, right? If you don't have to just throw your things into the giant uh, Spotify pot, the spot pot. Um, I mean, that could really change people's attitude to the music they make, right? That could have some creative repercussions. If, you, if suddenly we shift away from recorded music as a widget that must be sold to like a recording that is ephemeral or experiential or I don't know. Um, It's an interesting, I think we're at the edge of a model shift in certain ways. I think so too. I think also like what is interesting um, from what Martin mentions, um, I think like probably the most significant change or shift in music societally and i think actually martin is way more well read on this topic than i am um but like i think the most important shift in the past century has been uh kind of the proliferation of the recording and recorded music um because um let's go like kind of pre-recording if you want to hear your favorite song um someone around you or you yourself should be able to play or sing it um, so there was um, way more of a kind of like social nature to music. Um, uh, it was more participative um, and certain new aspects of like there being like one official version of a song that everyone knows, everyone has heard the original or supposedly the original singer um, uh, perform the song and you can play it as many times as you want, etc. So that's like a relatively new aspect to music. Um, what I think is also new to music is just the size of catalogs that we have access to. Um, and um, so I think 
music now is able with these apps and stuff like that that you were talking about is able to move into like more like smaller and more specific contexts um where perhaps we're also able to find models uh, business models that that don't rely on being really good inside kind of a catalog landscape um and uh i just want to before i go into the next part i have a background in streaming whenever i say stuff about like streaming i, I don't mean this critically of any streaming service um but uh i think there's certain ways in which streaming works and uh, one of the ways in which streaming works is uh, it's optimized for um getting the the most value out of out of catalogs for listeners um but it's not optimized for um, getting the most value out of like an artist fan relationship. And what I mean with that is that if a streaming service wants to make ad revenue or wants to sell their subscriptions, uh, every time someone opens the app, they need to find something that they listen to. That's like an important metric, whether people actually play something, how often they come back to play something, how long are their listening sessions. Uh, these are all like kind of key metrics to understanding like conversion and retention. Um, and you do that by like optimizing what people can get out of a catalog and listening to like loads of stuff and spreading them kind of thin over like many, many artists and genres and things like that. So, um, um, and I'm thinking like as an artist, what can you do now um, to um, stand out and perhaps think smaller and not participate in the, in the catalog? Thing because you're just never going to see like huge uh, returns unless you're like in the top, I don't know, this is something for Mark Monaghan, but like top one, five percent or so of streaming. And I think if you're outside of that, um, you might not really make a living from uh, streaming. And that's, that's fine. I think like streaming, the function is to have this kind of basic layer of data and basic layer of um, maybe financial infrastructure that things can plug into, but we need to build on top of that. And I think that's taken really long uh, to emerge. But I think in the past two years, we've kind of created economy. And now with Web3, we're starting to see that. And it will be really interesting. I think here's the risk for streaming services uh, for the next 10 years or so. When artists start uh, building business models, either together with their fan bases or with each other for creative communities, selling NFTs and things like that, over time, they might start to care a little bit less about updating those things that used to be important for them. Just like how at some point people were just updating their Facebook and they stopped updating their MySpace at, at one point. And um, I wonder how, yeah, the distribution of music, whether people will keep distributing music everywhere uh, to these streaming services. I wonder if people will just start forgetting about it because they it's not important to them anymore at one point. So it won't be like a deliberate choice, like, oh, I'm going to boycott streaming or something like that. But rather, it might kind of like fade away in importance and maybe music will become more of a, uh, well, a part of music will be something that you might find in the niches of, of the internet and niches of social landscapes, just like a little bit like how music scenes were pre pre-2000s, pre-Napster, pre basically, uh, with Napster Unlocks being able to like discover all this music. But before that, you had to walk into the right room in the right city to discover about genres or read the right magazines and have the right connections, have the right local record shop that's getting records from somewhere. Uh, and I think that's kind of coming back in, in some way with these kind of community models because nobody's super satisfied with the economics um, that emerged from... Um, yeah, this this kind of catalog focus of 
music consumption. Yeah, and just to kind of add on to that, I think um, that there is indeed like an opportunity for new music to find a community um, that doesn't necessarily have to be very big, right? Um, we went from a thousand super fans to a hundred super fans to like a single cult fan that buys your um, your music NFT for you know a couple of ETH and that allows you to make music again for a couple of months. Um, so with this narrowing of like your 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 needed fan base um, or the fan base you need to like sustain your your art. Um, there will still be um, there will still be this this sort of um, group of people that will win. <laughs> I don't think this whole new model is going to make a step away from like um, you know the total one hundred percent of everybody is going to make a, a living out of their their musical art. Um, but it is just another thing to add on top. Right, so for a lot of people, um, catalog will remain important because I don't think that there will be, like, don't think everybody will want to be like this lean-in listener to, to this artist that they're a super fan of. Um, there will still be moments where, you know, you you're having a dinner or something and you just want to hear some music in the background and it doesn't particularly matter what it is specifically. Um, so I'm not sure if it's a, like a total democratization in that sense, um, but I think it is like this positive development. And just to come back to what Buzz was saying, um, one of the things that I think might happen is that songs will come out, they will become popular, and those songs will be picked up by you know, people who own catalogs um, and they will monetize it through things like DSPs or, um, you know, push for more sync licenses, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, totally agree. And I've, I, uh, maybe just to add, because I think a lot of people think, especially people who talk about web free think like web free is going to replace everything. I think like these landscapes kind of build on each other and, uh, kind of compounds. I think like what, what we got with. Uh, I think what we got with um, the internet and as a kind of side effect piracy has been really great. I'm happy to live in this time where you can find all this music and explore all this music and connect to all these artists so easily. Um, and then like kind of streaming building on top of that. And now we get to um, to like a new phase where I think we're unlocking like loads of opportunities really quickly, but it's not gonna, um, it's not going to tear apart like the the foundations that 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 is coming from and that that is like building upon it's funny we you know we we often talk about democratization and sort of this this concept that somehow everyone should earn money from art if they want to which to me has always been a little bit honestly a little bit suspect um in that if you look back in history most people who made art never earned any money right um, they, you know, even if they were paid, I mean, you know, you can think about like, what is it, the, the 17th and 18th century sort of German town bands and 
Um, you know, there's all sorts of examples in the U.S. as well of people who maybe received a small amount of money for what they were doing, but definitely could not have been, you know, considered, um, you know, couldn't they couldn't consider that their sole livelihood. So while that may not be our goal for the future, I mean, we may want something different for people who make music or we may want to value music more highly from an economic perspective. Uh, you know, this sort of myth of the middle class musician has never really been well defined, right? We're, we're kind of chasing a, at least a post-war American uh, phantom a little bit. Um, and, and I would love, no one's ever done this research that I know of. And if I'm wrong, Martin, I want you to call me out on this. But there's not a ton of research about, you know, who actually put themselves down as a full-time musician in 1935 in the U.S., right? Um, who was earning money that way? How many people were there? What were they earning in today's dollars? Like, what, what are we really talking about? So, again, not that the past should dictate our hopes for the future, but I, I kind of always want to put a historical caveat in there when people start griping about the current situation uh, and just say that, you know, musicians have rarely earned money and they've rarely been sufficiently, com you know, compensated for the value they've given. So we either have to totally change that um, but we shouldn't look back to some mythical golden past. Anyway, <laughs> um, I will, I'll get off my soapbox now. Uh, Martin, I want to talk to you for a moment about what sounds like one of your specialties, which is live streaming. But do you have something to say first <laughs> in response to my little rant? <laughs> um, well, I mean, if you if you go back to like the 1930s, you, you, you should start looking at census records. Um, it's no, really it's boring. Fun. That's, work. that's so much fun. Um, but they, they tell you a lot of... <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, they tell you a lot of stuff, though. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you make a, a great point there on your soapbox. And um, just to kind of add on top of that, it's like, it's also okay to go back to like models that we had in the 17th and 18th century. Um, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach earned his money because he was specifically paid to make music for very specific circumstances and occasions. And it's wonderful, beautiful music that we still listen to centuries later. Um, so if you get like an assignment to make music um, and in like a Web3 environment, your own little DAO can be the person who, is, who assigns uh, um, the, that music uh, task to you. Um, that's totally okay. You know, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be this rock and roll star. Art doesn't have to like come yeah. from. We can we can throw out the Lord Byron model out. like right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes, but but we were but we wanted to speak of live streaming. Um, so it it's a really interesting juncture right now for live streaming, just just as it is for Web three. Uh, you know, in some ways we all got a taste of it and got to 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 dabble in live streaming as fans. Um, and but now people are kind of trying to make decisions and i'm wondering you know what's the model what are how are people imagining the the future in terms of of models are they thinking more like sports right where some people see the live event and some people see the broadcast event are we thinking you know geofenced um you know super targeted uh, regional live streams so that you can really get your get to your fans in uruguay but you can't go there on a tour um that kind of thing what how what are you thinking about martin um, all of that, but first and foremost, I'm thinking about, uh, live streaming as a form of presenting music. Um, and that, that is, um, 
not really something that exists yet. So live streaming isn't a new thing. We've been doing it for like since 1996 um, and more seriously since like 2009, 2011. I think you, U2's YouTube uh, live stream concert was 2009 and Twitch launched in 2011. So those are good, good dates to, 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 to toss out there. Um, and what we've basically been doing, and especially during the pandemic, was, okay, so we do live streaming, we put a camera up, and we film musicians. Um, that does not take full advantage of the medium, right? There is an, an individuality in the digital medium that needs to be taken advantage of. And um, we can just look at film and steal everything they do and put that in a live stream. So we have to think about storytelling. We have to think about story arc. Um, we have to think about the attention span of the people that are watching um, and make sure that, you know, you use lighting, you use the camera. Um, I always say, if you're standing in front of a, a stage and the singer is doing his thing, but the bass player is something that you're more interested in, you can look at her, right? And you don't have to look at the singer. Um, but if you're doing a filming, if you're filming the, the, the set, then the camera decides where the viewer is going to be watching. So those are very specific things that you can play with. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then I, I definitely also think about all of the stuff that, uh, that you mentioned. If you look at some of the consolidation that's been going on since sort of March this year, when Live Nation acquired Veeps, um, those kinds of players are definitely looking to expand the audience and expand the geographical reach um, and expand the experience, right? So I tend to go back to like this Michael Rapino quote um, from when Live Nation acquired Veeps, where he said, people will go to the venue or they watch it online. Um, if they watch it in the live stream, they will do so because they cannot make it to the venue or maybe it's sold out. Um, or and or they're interested in something different, right? So they want to see what's going on backstage, or they want to have a close-up of the drummer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So those are the kind of two main things that you hear about a lot. And then for me, that part about how do you, you know, add on another thing that people can enjoy music through. And also, again, monetize, of course. And this is an interesting question. I love how you're referring to sort of a lot of the, the visual aspects of enjoying a live stream, like looking at one uh, one performer versus another, um, you know, the sort of context of when, when and how you could make a concert versus a live stream. What about the sonic aspect? I know you think really, you, you judging by some of your past research, Martin, you think very carefully about the meaning of sound in different contexts and how it defines communities or performer viewer relation, you know, relationship, however we want to talk about it. Do you have any thoughts on, on live stream sound and how that might differ from uh, a live, live, live performance sound or a recorded uh, track or that any, any interesting thoughts there? Well, I mean, if I look at what we're doing at Garden, um, what we aim for is like a balance between the, the, the clean studio sound and the live sound, right? Um, and I think that is interesting because it's 
a slightly different way of, of experiencing the music again. Um, but one of the ways that you can play with interactivity, which should be an important element to any uh, live stream show, um, is that, that you can draw in the audience by playing with, with audio. Yeah. So, um, and you can do this by speaking to them directly. Um, and if they're listening with headphones, that becomes a super intimate experience. If they've been like casting the stream onto their TV and they have it on like the TV speakers or maybe a, a more elaborate hi-fi set, um, then it becomes more immersive. Um, and you can also um, play around with like audio things that are in the background and come into the foreground. And this sort of gives a, a, a sense of space um, that doesn't actually exist because it's 2D, but similar to what you can do with visuals, um, you can give the sense of space. I love that it well. can't be too clean. <laughs> That's really amazing. No, I mean, we did, we did one live stream here at Garden and it was, it was so ridiculously good that oh, everybody no. was like, so this was pre-recorded. <laughs> Somebody please like, you know, make sure that something is, is clipping or that there's some weird distortion. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You need mistakes. I love it. <laughs> it's important. Mistakes are mistakes are really important in art. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for spending the time talking to me about all of these things. Um, before we say goodbye, I get to ask you guys one of my favorite questions, and that is, you know, we get to we get to, as we say, on music tectonics get a little bit sci-fi um and you know this is kind of coming out of the blue so just answer it however you want where do you what's the thing you're most excited about like what what do you hope you see in five years in the music tech world it could be anything it could just be like i finally want a good preamp that doesn't cost you know x amount of dollars or it could be something much more sweeping and um cultural in, in its dimensions so boss why don't you why don't you start what you know, what are you thinking about? What is the most exciting development you see for the next, say, five years or so? Hmm. Um, I think what I find really exciting uh, to see in um, in the context of like some of these web free communities uh, that I'm in, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll mention one because I said I was going to give it as an example. We never got to it. I'm oh yeah, sorry. I, I won't, sorry. No, it's all right. <laughs> We wandered too far afield. <laughs> it's homework for everyone, but like uh, check out uh, a project called SongCab. Um, it's, it's really worth checking out. And what's really exciting, exciting for me about this space is um, artists uh, uh, collaborating in communities to um, to 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 get ahead, to to help each other. Um, and whenever someone's like whenever someone's successful, whenever someone, for example, this is not the only measure of success in web free, but it's just an easy example. When someone sells an NFT for like loads of money, um, I'm thinking of someone like perhaps, uh, Latasha, who's definitely, uh, like worth checking out for so many reasons as an artist, as a person with vision, someone who's really active in this space. Um, you see these people invest back into other creators, invest into DAOs, invest into grants for other artists. Um, and I think it's really exciting the the super direct um, involvement that people have in like bringing each other up, um, and it's happening really fast. I mean, certain uh, genres and subcultures have 
histories of this. I'm particularly thinking about hip hop, where where people were bringing like um, their crews up and you know producers that they knew, and um, they they were making sure everyone's kind of like getting paid. Um, but all of this is like happening faster. It's permeating way more of our culture, and I think it's permeating. Uh, just really a lot of like kind of web free culture where people, if you have a bit of success, you invest in like what you think uh, in the artists that you think uh, are also going to make it or should be making it, who need that support at that particular moment. I think it's so cool to see artists supporting artists uh, and investing in each other and actually having the ability to invest in each other. Um, so that's something that I hope will be absolutely normal and normalized in five years and also might help more people if they don't want to do things uh, within the confines and constructions and structures of, of, of uh, what exists today, then they have more options to do it outside of that uh, because they have fellow artists supporting them. That's that's kind of the very optimistic uh, dream and vision uh, that I have for like five years from now, but it's already happening. So I'm, I'm just dreaming about the scale at which it will, will happen in five years. I like optimism. It's easy to be a pessimist. Optimism is hard. So <laughs> I love that example. All right, Martin. Now, unfortunately, you have to answer this difficult question. What are you most excited about? And what, like, what's your vision for five years from now? And we won't hold anyone. <laughs> Things definitely change. Um, <laughs> so I think I might keep it a bit broad as well. Um, what I hope to see in five years is that um, a lot of the things that we're experimenting with now, and that's not just Web3, but also things like AR and VR and um, the way that uh, AI and ML can help us in, in like the production of music and the tagging of music and all that sort of stuff. Um, and um, that those experiments are fruitful and that they, um, they are adopted um, that they find either a large audience or a niche audience to exist in. Um, and that in each iteration, there is a new set of artists who find a way to uh, make a living for themselves. Um, so again, that's a super optimistic take and quite broad. But yeah, that's sort of sort of where I, where, where I am, where, what I was thinking. That's great. Awesome. Well, thanks both of you for your time and for your amazing thoughts. And yeah, have a great day. Thanks very much for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye! You're listening to Music Tectonics.